maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on double invitations, buying gifts for the boss's birthday, eye contact etiquette, uh, should you interrupt your server while they try to read the specials, and a question about stationery as a gift. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment that is the fourth installment from our Be Better at Parties New York Times article series. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about how not to have a bridal party. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. I went to a really fun party the other weekend, and it was different. It was a party uh, for citizenship, and a friend of mine is from Czech, and she married an American man, and we all play golf together, and it's a lot of fun, and she decided to actually take her naturalization test, and she passed, and so... Congratulations! Yes! So we had a citizenship party for her, and it was really cute. A friend from our, our group of gals emailed everyone and said, we'd love for you to come, and she listed the date and the time, and she said, we're going to have food ready at about 6.30, but please feel free to bring a recipe or an American tradition to share and dress in red, white, and blue. And it was really fun. People really did. It was sweet sitting around trying to think up what recipe to share because I was like, oh, there's everyone's going to do the classics. Like, I can't bring apple pie. Okay, I thought there were going to be like 10 apple pies and apple pie is kind of like a family go-to. So I was like, I should bring it. No, everyone's going to bring Nobody brought apple pie. I should have brought the apple pie. But I did bring creamy chicken and biscuits. Was And it's not like a natural American classic, but I thought it was like... It's country. You know, it's like country. It's home cooking. It's comfort food. I know that my friend eats chicken, so that was like, I was like, I'm not just going to go with beef if she doesn't eat beef. Good etiquette. Yeah, you know. But um, what I thought was really funny is that, so I'm like all ready to bring my, my creamy chicken and biscuits, right? And I'm like, okay. And I've done the recipe. I've figured it all out. And I got all the ingredients. And then I had my moment of panic because just like all of you writing in, I can't attend a social event without questioning myself like 10 times over before I go to it. And so I texted my friend Aaron, also going to the party, and I said, so when the host says bring a recipe, but also says we're going to have food already at 630, does that mean that the food's taken care of and I'm bringing a recipe card to give and our recipient is going to have a bunch of recipes, you know, to be able to cook and work with? Or am I bringing a dish and it's just an option instead of bringing an American tradition? I, Lizzie, post myself into a corner on this one. It was like I, I was going in a little etiquette circle, just spinning around and around and around. What do I do? What do I do? What did Aaron say? So Aaron said, you're hysterical. You teach this for a living. She said, I think you should bring the recipe and the dish. And I was like, OK, great. But I had this moment of panic. I was like, well, she says she's got food. So maybe that means I shouldn't bring the whole dish, but but she lists it as kind of like a contribution. I couldn't tell. Was it a contribution or was it just the recipe? Because we didn't use the word dish in the email. So 
what a cool party. What a special no, yeah, moment in someone's <laughs> life. And w- w- how nice of you and the rest of the community to celebrate it. You had mentioned that this was going on. You even gave me one other juicy detail. Oh, I hadn't heard about the chicken. No, Oh, my gosh. The cake was unbelievable. So one of our friends, Lara, is a cake baker. She's a baker. And she bakes these amazing cakes. And she made a cake that looked like the American flag top hat that's on Uncle Sam Sam. top hat. Yeah, exactly. Uncle Sam top hat. And this thing is big. This is not like, no, this is no small cake. Okay. This is like definitely, it's a good 12 inches or taller. And when she sliced into it, it perfectly did an American flag. Now, it did not just do one layer of blue, one layer of, of white, one layer of red. It actually had the square sectioned off for the blue and the stars and then the stripes leading off of it. It looked so gorgeous. It was ridiculous. Like, I I ate that cake. That was good cake. <laughs> I pay homage. Yeah. <laughs> that is remarkable. When you were first describing this cake, and I, I was anticipating that red, white, and blue themed interior, sure. but... American flag cross-section? It was pretty unbelievable, and it, it tasted fantastic. But the thing I really wanted to bring this up for was that, like, it doesn't matter how many parties you go to. You know, this was my first time going to someone's ha- this person's house, and so I was nervous that I didn't have the right house when I didn't see a lot of cars out in front. I had all those moments that we have and the moments that we talk about, for instance, in the Mix and Mingle series we've been doing. And it happens to everybody. And I had I sat in my car for like five minutes before I got out and walked in and like knocked on the door and stuff like that. Like it happens. But if you just tell yourself, I'm just having that moment and you just go for it. You ask the friend, what do you think that the host means by this? Am I just reading way too far into this? Yes, you are, Lizzie Post. Or, you know, like, it, you know what? If you knock on the wrong door, they're just going to tell you, oh, yeah, the so-and-sos live two doors down. Everybody gets that wrong or something like that. But even even etiquette experts have their moments of social anxiety. Well, good job. Well done. <laughs> Thank you, Cuz. Thank you. Oh, should we get to some of those questions today? We should do it. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to StoryWorth, 
storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, remember to put sustaining member in your subject line or your question. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. We have some interesting short questions in this show, and the first one is about double invites. Hello, when you receive both a Facebook invite and a formal invitation to the same event, both of which request an RSVP, is it best to respond to both formats, or is it okay to assume that a response in one format is sufficient? Thanks, Anne. You definitely see a lot of this these days, and I think that it's Really, the host trying to make it as simple on the guest as possible. They're trying to reach you in a couple of ways and give you a couple of different options. My instinct is that as long as you get them an RSVP and get it to them pretty quickly, that that's the most important thing. That that people are looking for a reply and the closer you can get them that reply to receiving that invitation, the better. So don't let any confusion interrupt your action and your response time. You certainly could do both. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's necessary either. But I do think that the Facebook invites are often there because people lose cards. They misplace them. People aren't as familiar with formal invitation RSVPs as they used to be. I mean, the number of weddings I go to has even dwindled. Um, and so it's it's just not always an experience that for something other than a big fancy wedding that people are used to. So it's kind of fun to see that you've actually received invitations that, that do ha- are so formal that they carry that reply card with them. I say use it because it's fun. You can always do both, like Dan said. There was something interesting in here. I noticed a long time ago, we had a listener write in and say, could you please stop saying invite? It's an invitation. And I noticed that our listener, Anne, wrote a Facebook invite, but then she wrote a formal invitation. And I thought it was kind of funny in my brain that I think we do think of them a little bit differently, that that Facebook invite is casual and it gets the gets the shortened version of the word. Dan's like miming, tossing things off and like cutting them off short right now. But it's it was kind of fun to see that play out right here. But do you have any other thoughts on this one? Well, yes. Oh, you Just do? Yeah. Listening to you say that it was nice to get that... F- more formal invitation that people are less familiar with how to deal with that. It made me think that my, and I hadn't noticed this in my own (laughs) response in my mind, but that I tend to think of the Facebook one as less reliable because you just don't know if someone uses Facebook, how often they do, even if they've got an active account or they have an active account. So in some ways, touching people a couple different ways is probably smart because it didn't occur to me that some people would be less adept at or less used to getting the more formal. I I tend to think of people as being less used to or adept at handling the Facebook. That's an example right across the table of why it would be good to send both (laughs) to 
us. That also comes across because Dan and I aren't big personal Facebook users. We don't we don't use it a lot in our personal lives. We love it for business, and so it's both of us would be the person going, "Oh yeah, 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 that formal invite. That's nice. That'll get me to remember to send the RSVP. It'll it'll make me check all the boxes." But a lot of people, it's the exact opposite. And you have multiple options here. I'm a big fan of of whatever's fastest and that you makes you actually do the RSVP. So if that's clicking the button on Facebook, if that's actually putting the response card in the mail, either is appropriate. And have a blast at the event. It all starts with knowing whether you're going or not and with whom. It helps if the boy is early with the invitation. That way the girl feels she's his first choice. And naturally, it's only fair that the girl accept or reject as soon as possible. Our next question is about buying for the boss. Hello. A colleague of mine has been invited to our boss's birthday event tomorrow night. The invitation mentioned nothing at all about a gift. My colleague has found out that another colleague is bringing a gift and that typically our boss likes to open presents in front of the guests during the party. Now, my colleague feels pressure to bring a gift and has absolutely no idea what to buy our boss, as he literally can have anything he wants, as he is rather wealthy. It's to my understanding a subordinate should not have to buy a boss gifts. Can you please advise? Thank you. This is so not a typical work scenario. This is a little weird. Can we also just take note, and I didn't realize this until Dan read the question out loud, that a colleague of mine has been invited to our boss's birthday event tomorrow. We aren't saying that the person writing has also been invited to the event, but they are colleagues. So my guess is that the boss, like, is the boss really picking and choosing what departments people are coming to the, their personal birthday party? We do not know the structure of this office. We, don't. we do not know the boss and the connections to his, right, his employees. We really don't know. So I don't want to put too much emphasis on judging the boss for hosting a birthday party for themselves that is putting pressure on guests to not only bring gifts, but then watch their boss open them in front. It's It would take a really special circumstance for this to not kind of raise a few eyebrows, to be honest. Like, <laughs> and, and again, like you, I'm, I'm, I'm in my mind trying to do that good work of saying <laughs> maybe this boss is so good with people, is so personal and connected, and they're able to pull this off in a way that's gregarious and appreciative and doesn't make people feel uncomfortable and awkward. But the email we're getting presented with paints an awkward. Picture. It really does. And it, and it <laughs> illustrates how even if that most generous picture of the boss is true, just the, the facts of the case paint a very different picture. Dude, in my head already, we ha- I have like a throne that the boss is going to sit on. Like I just started this saying I wasn't going to judge, but the imagery is kind of like delicious a little bit. Like it's it's fun to imagine this. <laughs> so what do you do? I know. Okay, so I, I was thinking about this one and because you are our business guru here. So let me know if I'm off base. But my thought is, if the colleague has already said, yes, I will go to the party, then get a small, easy gift, you know, something light, something simple. You know me. I'm always going to suggest a picture frame. Dan laughs. It's like 10 years of me suggesting picture frames. 
They make um, great gifts. They make great gifts. Um, but I would get something simple, something like if they like golf, you know, a couple sleeves of golf balls, like something simple, something easy. And then next year I would decline the invitation. If you haven't already declined the invitation and the whole scene is making you like just not feel like this is work appropriate or appropriate for work relationships, decline the invitation. And then and you don't have to send a gift to a declined birthday party invitation. So it's okay. I like how you're thinking about sort of the most immediate way to head this off at the past. I, it hadn't even occurred to me to think about, have you said you're going to go yet? <laughs> I know. I was like, well, have you already committed to going? Because that, that could get you out real easily. It, it really could. And if it really is something that maybe is as awkward as this sounds like it could be, that it's something you can decline in the future. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a comment on what's going on. People decline invitations for all kinds of reasons. And yeah. you don't need to get into explanations about why or what those reasons are. Or that they'll be continued each year in the future if this is the, the procedure. But if you're committed, I, I like your idea. You yeah. figure out a way to participate that allows you to participate at a level that you can be comfortable at. And then you start to pay attention to, well, what are appropriate work gifts? You avoid things that are too personal, salacious, or depend on someone else sharing the same sense of humor that you have. I was going to say, or humorous kind of jokey gifts. Those are not a, not a good idea, especially not for a crowd. Keep it small. Keep it thoughtful. Maybe double check with someone else to yeah. see if this thing that you've heard through the grapevine from one person really is the thing so that you good don't idea, Dan. end up showing up to a party with a gift and you're one of two out of ten employees that have showed up with a gift and all of a sudden, you're the one who looks like you're oh, suggesting something that's some, not like, so good. Oh, I hope this isn't some, joke on the new employee. Like, oh, and he loves gifts. And the whole party is going to be about opening gifts. No. Oh, no. There are lots of possibilities. That's not a joke. That's not a joke. Joking aside, um, putting on our, our most generous, respectful hats, it's wonderful that you work at a place where, you know, people do get together outside of work and feel like those relationships are, are ones that you would want around on your birthday. We can joke and we can kid and we can assume how it looks. But at the same time, it is nice that this kind of stuff is happening. A lot of people say, oh, gosh, my work never does things outside like you would never cross, never, never. And I wish I had more of that kind of familial experience at work. Dan and I obviously have family up the wazoo at our office. So it's a little different for us. But you're not wrong to think that this is a, a little out of the norm for workplace uh, relationships. But if it's what's working for your company and you feel confident and comfortable going, get a gift, go and have fun, enjoy it. If you really don't feel comfortable getting a gift for your boss, a card with good sentiment is always a good way to go. Good idea, cuz. Please pass this advice along to your colleague if you think it would help. And... Hopefully you don't find yourself in the same situation a year from now. That's the way it is in this company. They wait till they've run out of something. And everybody runs around like crazy. No system. And nobody in charge with enough brains to start one. What a way to run a business. Do you want more Dan Post sending in your life? Are you always bummed when our show isn't all business questions all the time? Would you like to attend one of Dan's signature business etiquette seminars from the comfort of your home on your schedule? Now you can. We partnered with CreativeLive.com to deliver almost eight hours of our Emily Post Business Etiquette Seminar Series online. It's super easy to get started, and you can take the program at your leisure. But 
we know you'll devour it in only one sitting. Just go to emilypost.com slash online seminar and start learning from Dan in minutes. The best part is Awesome Etiquette fans can enter the promo code AWESOMEETIQUETTE10 to receive 10% off your first class. Limit one per customer, and the discount is only available on one item per cart. And now back to our show. This question is titled, Eye Contact Obligations. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a loyal listener of your fine show. If you walk by two people and recognize one of them, and you don't stop, should you break your gaze from the one you know to look at the person they're with? Best wishes, Josh. I know, it's not our typical question, but I thought this was a really good question. This is a really subtle social question. Yes, Eye contact. It says so much. We follow where each other are looking so closely, so carefully. We do it instantaneously. It happens on a very subconscious and pre-conscious level, both like very sort of deeply subconscious and also just before we recognize we're doing it. But then we do recognize what we see. (laughs) Pre-conscious. Humans are remarkable in how astute and careful we are at watching where each other are watching. We know where each other are paying attention based on what we're looking at. And should you look at the person you don't know when you're crossing paths with someone who's with someone you do know? I think probably. I don't know exactly. This is one where I think it's going to be different depending on the circumstances. You might not get the opportunity to catch the other person's eye. I think about walking down Church Street. And if I see a a friend who's, you know, walking with one of their friends, their friend might not actually notice me when we go by and they they might not see the little eye contact that gets made. I'm wondering how close you are. Like, are you walking on the same side of the street or are you walking in, in like, you know, right next to each other as you pass? In which case, I'm going to guess you probably give like a little wave with your hand, too. Or are you far enough away, like I'm thinking of our pedestrian church street, where you could be walking on the side near the shops and someone else could be in the middle and you do catch eyes, but you don't stop to talk to each other. And that's one where you're not necessarily waving, but you're noticing each other or in a parking lot or farther away or when you're just driving by somebody. Like, I'm, there are all these moments of I could dance. <laughs> Dan's like, and Lizzie's about to get lost in her brain again. Um, But it's true. There's so many moments of this. And do you make it? Do you not? Do you make the eye contact? We get a version of this question that's about the hallway at work or in the case of the Emily Post Institute, the long bridge entrance at work where you have this runway of (laughs) decision making about how you make eye contact with people. And there's no outlet. There's no like there's no door. You're in a tunnel. Like there's no way to avoid the person coming down the tunnel. No, it's true. And in those cases, we often say, yes, you acknowledge people. Yeah. And that once you've acknowledged someone, no, there is this place where it goes on too long, where it becomes sort of this awkward joust or stare down as you continue to approach each other. And it's it's also okay to break eye contact. It's okay to let your gaze recover away from someone's eyes. There's a great piece of eye contact advice that we give at the Emily Post Institute that is you can look at the bridge of someone's nose and it looks like you're making a sustaining eye contact. I'm doing with my cousin Lizzie Post right now. <laughs> I'm feeling like this is a small version of a white lie, just saying. But no, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> but that, 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 that locking of gaze with someone intense. else can be disconcerting. It can be something where it can start to feel intense or e- even aggressive. And there's there are ways to soften it. And 
there's also ways to be intentional about where you let your gaze recover when you look away. Some oh, people say that you don't always want to look down in a way that that is sort of a submissive gesture okay. or, or action and that some people – and this is more personal sort of in closer range – will notice if you look up, left or right Whoa. as a sign of honesty or dishonesty. Oh, really? So – there is a piece of advice that says if you're going to recover your gaze up, let it recover sort of in a neutral place in the center just above someone's head. And that's a way to not always be looking down in a way or so to I give should, a signal of dishonesty. So wait, I should, I should like look at you and make eye contact and then look up at like kind of your hair. <laughs> and, and we are subtle enough creatures that we know when someone's gaze shifts from our eyes to a foot over our head. It's remarkable. Okay, so – this is why I wanted to to do this question was because there's a lot more to it than just, yes, you look at the other person. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things that kind of I wanted to, to put out there is that when you are having this kind of eye contact interaction where you're not going to be speaking with someone, I do think it's extra important to put that smile on your face. Because if you look at the second person who doesn't know you and you might not know them – that's a moment where you have a stranger making eye contact with you then, even though you both probably know that the you know this other person is the connector between you two. It can feel intimidating. You might be thinking in your head, oh, I wonder who she's with or, oh, I like I haven't seen that person. Maybe that's a work colleague, which could easily put a question on your face, if you know what I mean, just because you're thinking it in your head. And then your gaze is shifting from being like open and hey, Jerry to like, and who's Jerry with? (laughs) Like, and that even and not even in any kind of, you know, nefarious or bad way, but it just it can make that questioning be less friendly as opposed to that smile on your face of, you know, oh, I'm smiling at whoever it is that Jerry's walking with. There was a question that I thought was maybe implicit within this question. What? That if you've made eye contact with the person that you know, the question is should you break eye contact to look at the other person? As in, maybe there's something that's inappropriate about that. And quite the the opposite. I think that it's a, a normal and natural thing to do to acknowledge with your eyes that this person is with someone else. Could you imagine if we had to like stare the person down until they're completely out of our view and that that was the social norm? Oh my goodness. (laughs) That would be a lot. Yeah. Josh, what an interesting question. This is about the subtleties of social interactions and we really appreciate the chance to think about it a little bit. I realized if they saw us, I'd have to introduce them to Anne or Anne to them. Gosh, I thought, which is correct. By the time they did see us, I was in a dither. They kept right on coming, and I kept right on trying to recall the correct way to introduce everyone properly, and wishing I weren't so vague about such things. Now, here's another interesting question, Dan. Fear not. All is forgivable. Yay. Good morning. I was listening to your podcast on interruptions. I could use some advice regarding a situation I found myself in while eating at a restaurant. The waiter was giving me options for items, and I was a bit excited about the first one. I was a bit too much when he kept naming off the rest of the items. I kept shaking my head and saying, (laughs) no, I like the first option. I recognize I should have waited and listened to the rest, and I acknowledge my part of the bad behavior, a mistake I have never made since, by the way. However, someone at the table who, may I add, we aren't great friends to this day, quickly shamed me by saying in a loud and rude voice, and we do not interrupt the waiter while he is talking. It was my birthday meal, and I was humiliated, 
and really just didn't say much the rest of the evening. I'm just not sure how I should have handled that in the moment. Your thoughts would be greatly appreciated on how I may have handled the situation with more finesse and come away not looking so sheepish. Much thanks. I love the podcast. Michaela. Michaela, first, happy birthday on that birthday that didn't go as happily as it could have due to this person shaming you at the table. I want to shame the person who shamed. It's it's a worse mistake than interrupting. Uh, so rude. I so with that out of the way. <laughs> This is forgivable. I I have been you in this moment. I absolutely, and Dan has too. He's shaking his head. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We love food, and we get very excited about food, especially on our birthdays. And it can be that thing where you're... You're so intently paying attention to the server that you kind of forget the server's talking to the whole table. And that's what I'm picturing here is just excited, excited for your birthday, excited for the meal, excited for everyone to be there. And, oh, that option just sounded amazing. No, that doesn't sound good. No, that doesn't sound good. Either. No, that's not. I like the first one. I like the first one. And it's easy to have those kind of moments. They happen to everybody. Even if you did it again, I wouldn't think that was completely unforgivable. You're just caught up in the moment. And I think that this other person shaming you was just so out of line. You were the guest of honor. You were excited. You were not trying to be rude. That's something that we we really try and put out there is intention. It's very clear you weren't trying to tell this person to go away or that, oh, their list is too long. You weren't giving any lofty attitudes in that kind of a way. So I really think that your quasi-friend, I'll refer to this person as, was far out of line. And I I do love love the actual quoted line here. And we do not interrupt the waiter while he is talking. I mean, Passive voice correction. Like, you can't help but do it in, like, a lofty, like, kind of voice because it's so yucky. Um, anyway, it's, yeah, our, our listeners should not be shamed. I agree. And now I'm imagining that moment where both things have happened and now you're trying to enjoy your birthday dinner with shame on the your folks plate. that have come. With shame on your I'm plate. Sorry. <laughs> Well said. How do you avoid that shame? Because this is another type of etiquette question that we get asked. Yes. And the the advice here is you control the things you can control. You make whatever commitments you need to make in your mind to say, I'm going to correct this in the future. I'm going to be a little better. I'm going to try not to interrupt a waiter next time, even if it's not that bad a mistake. And then you let it go and you enjoy the rest of your meal. That living with and inhabiting a feeling of guilt or grief isn't a way that's – isn't something that's going to make your company enjoyable for others. It's not in service of the social experiment or experience and it's also not going to help you – it may feel like it's going to help you be better next time. <laughs> Some people like to give themselves that correction in that moment to sort of feel bad in order to commit in a stronger way to making that correction. But you want to keep it in proportion to the offense. And in this case, relatively minor offense, let yourself move past it and enjoy that meal would be the advice on on how to handle that situation with grace so that you can enjoy the rest of that meal and – be a good guest of honor. And no matter what, never refer to a singular person's actions as, and we do not. Oh, man. Not the way to get the message across. I'm picturing moments where women in our family, a generation above us, 
you know, this is the kind of correction that their mothers would have given. And it's it's the kind of correction that to a certain group of people, I think it feels like the light touch or it feels like the right way to go. And it just comes across so badly. And I've actually watched uh, two women in, in our family who, when this correction has come the, their way as an adult, they're not the ones making it. They're just like Michaela in this situation, receiving it from someone else. I've seen them kind of quietly take a breath and say, oh, aren't you right? And then, you know, a- apologize to the server if that's the situation that we're in and move on. But I've also seen them do one of them um, very slyly and quietly made the American Sign Language symbol for excuse me and kind of resolved herself, I will say, and said, well, and like just that was her own way of handling it. And I was like, good for you. I can't wait to get the rest of the story off air. <laughs> I know. I wish I could divulge the names, but without their permission, it would be rude. So I won't. <laughs> Michaela, this is the kind of thing that happens. I hope that the rest of your birthday went really well and that you were able to enjoy it. And do be excited about that first dish option. I bet it was delicious. But not all people like the same food, served in the same way and at the same price. First is the table service type. This group provides waiter or waitress service. It offers a more dignified atmosphere and extensive menu than that found in other type restaurants. Dan, I am going to toss this next question to you, my friend. I feel like you are well versed in it. It's titled Stationary as a Gift. Hello, etiquette gurus. I'm writing to ask about the appropriateness of gifting personal stationery, which I'm hoping to do for Christmas gifts this year. I love sending cards myself, and I think good old-fashioned snail mail is such a simple little treasure. Who doesn't love sorting their mail and spotting a handwritten card? Pure joy in my experience. I plan to gift personalized stationery along with a book of stamps. USPS has so many awesome stamps these days, including scratch and sniff, if you were wondering just how awesome. The reason I am hesitating is because personal stationery is, well, personal. Should I do sets of 10 cards so the gift receiver isn't stuck with a huge pile of stationery she really dislikes? Should I choose a very simple design that everyone can tolerate? Is personal stationery just so personal that I should keep my nose out of other people's business? Any guidance you can offer would be appreciated, as always. Now I see why you threw this question to me. Yes! (laughs) I love personal stationery. I love getting personal stationery as a gift. I haven't ever given personal stationery as a gift, but I think it's a great idea. And there are a lot of ways to do this particular type of gift giving well. So let's start to talk about all of them because this is a really cool idea. One thing that we mentioned in our children's program is that Sometimes there's even an option to design your own stamp. You can get your own pictures or characters or favorite characters, put on stamps, definitely play around with it, have fun with it. It can be a really cool present to do personalized stamps for people. I hadn't heard about Scratch and Sniff, but that's very cool also. I think so, too. I'm picturing sending in, like, Anisha's drawings, like her scribbles and things, and you could get a whole set of stamps of your kid's artwork. Sorry, just ideas. No, it, 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 it starts to, to, to grow very quickly. If I was giving somebody cards that are already designed, I like your idea of sticking to little sets of 10 yeah. so that you don't end up with just a really big gift that's not going to be useful to someone. But a set of 10 cards, 
even if they're not your absolute favorite, no harm, no foul. But if you kind of like them, it's enough to do something with them. This is making me realize that the phrase personal stationery could mean a couple things here. It mm-hmm. could mean just your personal use that you use for social and that sort of stuff, not your business stationery. Or it could mean your personalized stationery, like what you have from Dempsey and Carroll, which is, you know, actually your name printed on it and it's specific to you. So let's talk about that a little bit because that is the the next level, the really personalized social stationery or business stationery that has your name, maybe your home address, maybe your business address, maybe contact information, maybe not. Maybe you keep it very simple. It's just your name. You might even start to build a wardrobe of personal stationery by getting an engraved uh, nameplate made that has your name that can be then used on – Letter sheets, monarch sheets, correspondence cards, note cards for that kind of a gift. And this is something my mother did for her daughter's-in-law's last Christmas <laughs> when she said, I want to get you your own social stationery. And she made part of the gift going with them and designing, choosing out what kind of stationery they wanted, how they wanted Their nameplates created, what fonts, what spacing, middle initials, yes, no, all of the the questions that are personal questions. And if you're making a decision that's a a bigger decision that's going to affect more of your stationary wardrobe, it's fun to be a part of that. They made an experience of it. They made an event of it, and it was a nice way to do it. And that's really big deal giving. That's a bigger present, and it's definitely worth touching base with the receiver on. But there is also a way to present that gift as a gift. You can be really specific and clear about the invitation to go with them. You can help them coordinate dates. You could wrap up a little something, an example, a sample, or some materials from that particular line or store. The flip side of this question, there's an awareness of, I think, a perception around how a gift like this could be received. And I've heard a version of this question asked in my seminars or I've heard stories about a particular relative who maybe thinks people don't write thank yous for gifts well (laughs) and (laughs) makes a gift of the thank you note cards that they would expect to receive and – This is definitely the way a gift like this could be received if it's coordinated with messages of disapproval about somebody not communicating enough or in the way that you would want them to communicate. And as long as you haven't coordinated that message with the gift, it's a really nice gift. If you are someone who has expressed displeasure (laughs) at somebody not corresponding with you or not sending thank you notes or cards, I would take more care with the giving of a gift like this. But – If that's not the case, enjoy it. Share your passion and love for letter writing, note writing, and stationery. Just like our question asker did. But let's talk about some of the other questions that are in here. Um, Simple design. You know, we talked about the amount and we thought that regardless of what type of stationery you're getting, I do think that um, the the t- set of 10 is a good idea as a starter. If this is a really nice gift, I mean, if this is like, you know, 
a really special gift, something you're really going to go big on, then you might discuss and it's probably in that wardrobe category of fancy. There's going to be a lot of decisions to make. It's going to be a whole process. I get the sense that our question asker is going the route of pre-made cards and just wants more people to feel encouraged and have the stuff on hand to be able to use and and send out from a very joyful um, place, not from a from a place of punishment. So, but what do you think about design? You know, I ask for stationery at Christmas time each year, and I'm always really you know excited to see what my mom picks. And don't get me wrong, there have been years where the designs have been awesome and years where they haven't been so awesome. But I never end up feeling like, oh, what a waste. I'll never use these. I always still open the gift and think, oh, these are so cute. Some of them I've used up. Some I've never touched. But like, I think I think don't worry too, too much. Just find a design that's simple and reminds you of your friend. And I would I would go for that as my like guiding force. Do you have any other guiding tips for pre-made cards think about the person think about the relationship think about the potential uses sometimes you oh, I are like that thought too potential uses. well i'm thinking sometimes it makes a nice gift if you've stayed at someone's vacation home mm-hmm. you can give them a little set of stationery for the house totally like it's got sort of a beachy theme or or something maybe if the gift is for kids in the family it's balloons and bicycles maybe they really like teddy bears or maybe it's flamingos and there's a way you can acknowledge that particular interest. You could also push someone in a new direction or offer something that they might not have thought of before. There are a lot of choices here, particularly with a smaller gift. You can't really go wrong. I think you're more likely to get a response or a reaction like the one Lizzie just described of, oh, look at this. It's so cute. <laughs> Pressed flowers. Oh, I know. Really cool. Those are really cool. Those botanical drawings, Mm -hmm. I think, are kind of cool, too. I like those, too. There's a lot to choose from. But mostly, we were very excited that you are someone who is out there encouraging the art of letter writing and keeping in touch in multiple different ways. You know, we we live in a really cool time. There are a lot of ways to connect with, with people. And I think that encouraging a variety of them rather than focusing on just the text message is a great way to stay in touch and to let people know you're thinking about it. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member in your feedback or question. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics that we cover. And our first piece of feedback comes from our episode uh, on they, them, and the one where we talked about pronouns and the they, them pronouns. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I was so excited to hear you talking about they, them pronouns on the podcast. I've been thinking so much about etiquette in more queer contexts, and this was a great conversation. Just a few extra thoughts. Lots of folks talking about gender and pronouns have chosen to move away from language about which pronoun a person prefers because they aren't just a preference. They are our pronouns. In cases like the listener who used both she, her, and they, them, I've often found it helpful to remind people who are genuinely trying to get it right that I don't have a preference, that both are correct, and to encourage them to use whichever one feels best. 
Pronouns, in my opinion, shouldn't draw attention to the person who's using them, especially if they aren't normative. And whatever makes getting through the day-to-day interactions easiest for the person introducing their pronouns seems like the best option to me. There's nothing worse than having someone spending five minutes publicly apologizing for making a mistake and drawing attention to the fact that my pronouns are just so new and hard. Mm. Adding on to the conversation about how pronouns are used in a sentence, it's also helpful to remind people how to introduce someone's pronouns. I've done class introduction activities where a partner introduced me by saying, this is Elena, and she uses they, them pronouns. They meant well, but their statement also felt really invalidating of my gender at the same time. Whenever I introduce my pronouns in a setting where folks might not be familiar with the language, I say something like, I'm Elena, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. If you're talking about me, you might say, they are my friend Elena, and they have really cool hair, to emphasize. And one last quick thing. After introducing my pronouns, a good practice for me has been to ask the other person what their pronouns are. Often the burden to have a conversation around pronouns falls on transgender and non-binary people. But everyone uses pronouns. Reminding the person you're talking to that they also have pronouns that you want to respect is a great way to make the conversation something that more people can engage in. Thanks again for tackling this issue. The more we talk about pronouns, the more normalized they'll be for everyone. All the best, Elena. What I love, first of all, what I loved about Elena's feedback was that they really, I wish you could just see what they've put on the screen in front of us because the exclamation points, the use of their language, it really shows that they're thinking about it in a positive way and that this is light and bright. That to me is so inviting and inclusive. It makes it so easy for other people to say, oh, I I hear that. I hear you. And I really loved that they used the um, the example of this is Elena. She uses the pronouns they and them. And I don't mean to laugh because it's a very easy thing to have happen. I even there's an edit of, of my response here where I almost used she and I really wanted to make sure I got the they's correct. It's exactly what Elena has described. It's invalidating of the very good attempt to try and introduce the correct pronouns. So you can instead say, this is Elena, they uses they, them pronouns, and that would work. It'll take time to get used to it, but I just, I really loved Elena's attitude. I loved Elena's perspective in sharing also that this isn't necessarily a preference. If you don't identify as a person, as female or male, then your pronouns aren't a preference of they, them. They are your pronouns. And I think that's that was an important thing to bring up. But mostly, I just really appreciate Elena writing it about this. Our next piece of feedback is about curbside grocery pickup. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I wanted to offer some feedback on the question in episode number 201 about tipping the associates who assist with curbside grocery service. I have used the grocery pickup service with the same large retail store for over a year. Their website expressly states store associates do not accept tips, but a thank you is always appreciated. They also encourage you to let them know about your experience in the post-order survey. This leads me to believe there would be disciplinary action if associates were to accept tips. So here are my suggestions and some things I do myself. One, always try to get the name of the associate who helps you and sing their praises in your post-order survey. 
I have had assistance from the same associate on several occasions and continue to call attention to their wonderful service in these surveys because it is well-deserved. Two, if you are able, greet them outside of your vehicle and help them load your groceries. Many times it is very hot or raining where I live, and I like to get them out of the elements as soon as possible. Doing so is helpful to me as well because I can identify a specific space to place cold items and get them into the house quicker in the summer months. Three, offer them a short thank you note with an enclosed gift card that could cover part or the entire cost of their lunch or coffee. It's a small token of appreciation and to me seems appropriate as it is not a cash tip. Maybe I'm just tiptoeing around the rules here, lol, but it sounds like an acceptable way to say thank you to me. I thoroughly enjoy your show and have delighted in getting to know you both along the way. Sincerely, Ashley. Ashley, thank you so much for that. It's a really sweet idea, and I appreciate your acknowledgement that your uh, little uh, gift card tip, I'm going to call it a tip, is tiptoeing up to the line of maybe breaking that rule a little bit. You do want to be careful with that. And I would say definitely be careful about that. I particularly liked your advice about being sure to get to know the people that are helping you and to mention them by name when you fill out that survey. That can go a long way for someone internally within an organization. I also like how you make an effort to help out just because someone's providing a service doesn't mean that You can't make their job a little easier and lend a helping hand. Thanks a lot for this feedback. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please keep those thoughts and updates coming. You can send your next comment, question, or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or send Lizzie a text. She loves getting your texts to (laughs) 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is about the mix and mingle article that we've been ripping through, uh, written by Jen Dahl uh, in The New York Times. And this is going to be part four of our series. Y'all have written in so many times letting us know that even for as well-adjusted as you are, it's a little nerve-wracking walking into a party, especially if you're walking in on your own. And we've been really having a good time going over these tips. Dan, take us away with part four. What have you got for us today? We're moving on from the art of conversation to the art of working the room, how you enter and exit conversations, how you move about, how you present yourself as a attractive interlocutor, how you engage in that delightful fun that we call mix and mingle. In my brain, like my internal soundtrack just went off for like something out of like, you know, Ocean's Eleven or something like that. We're like, okay, this is how it's going to go down, guys. And I'm going to move over here by the chips and dip. And then I'm not going to take too much, but I'm going to go get a drink over by the bar and then come over here. We're going to talk to you. We're going to get to know this information. We've got the plan. And what's great about that vision of what's going on is that it's striking that nice balance between the fact that this is a little bit work, a little bit art, and bottom line, it should all be fun. Yes. That ultimately you're here to enjoy yourself. Other people are there to enjoy themselves. That we're talking about social occasions here, but even if it's a work occasion, even if this is business mix and mingle, there should be this veneer of conviviality, of social engagement that's enjoyable, that really (laughs) makes this, it's it's the lubrication for this whole interaction. It's supposed to be fun. (laughs) So the idea of lubrication, the idea of mobility is one of the things that makes a party enjoyable. One of the, the 
sort of little nightmare scenarios is being trapped in that awkward or difficult conversation or with that person that you don't want to be with all the time. There are easy outs in those situations. Magic words are magic. They don't just make things happen, please. They don't just express gratitude or appreciation. Thank you and you're welcome. They also help you recover from mistakes and get out of difficult situations. Excuse me. Pardon me. I'm sorry. But those excuse me and pardon me are (laughs) perfect exits from conversations. Excuse me for just a minute. I just saw someone I've been hoping to talk to all night. Pardon me for just a moment. I need to head back to the buffet and get a little more food. Just acknowledge the exit. You can also use that other magic word, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been delightful talking to you. It's another way to close an interaction well. Sometimes it's more in line or appropriate, sometimes less, sometimes for a, a, a subtler, quieter exit. That excuse me is enough. That pardon me is enough. But acknowledging that you're concluding something is one way to do it well. That excuse me will also get you into a conversation. Yes. Pardon me. I I couldn't help but overhear you talking about skiing. I'm only going to be here for another five minutes, but I had to ask a local before I left. Where is your favorite place to... To go when there's been a good snowstorm. Whatever it is, that's a... Where's your favorite place to go when there's been a good snowstorm? You are so from the mountain. <laughs> I love it. I love but I don't really ski that much, so no, I, I sound really, really terrible. <laughs> but you dive in. You've got a smile on your face. You acknowledge that you're interrupting or interjecting, and yeah. it's it's a good way to enter intelligent. That was Dan Post setting at classic Dan Post setting because you absolutely... I've heard you say those very... Very words come out of your mouth. And there is so much excitement and enthusiasm that Dan brings to those words. And that's why how could you not want to interrupt this conversation and then pay attention to it? And it it makes a difference. It really does. Because I think if you walked up and said the exact same thing of, oh, ex- excuse me, I just I did want to get this question in before I leave the party. Like that doesn't work. But I just have to because and he's got his shoulders up and his eyes are crinkling with a sparkle in them. It's very inviting. And your intentions are clearly good. Thank you so much. And that is a nice entree to the other point that when you're engaged in this type of social situation, pay attention to what you're doing with your body, that what you say matters, how you move around matters, but also that you make eye contact, that you smile, that you let that smile on your face live in your eyes and animate your body as well. Stand up straight, engage a full upright posture that tells people you're present and attentive. Open up your body. Don't cross your arms in front of you mm-hmm. or your legs or feet in front of you. That starts to close you off to the world. Outwardly rotate shoulders and hips. It makes you more approachable. Show people your palms. That's one tip that will help you turn out from your shoulders and really opens up your upper body. People are more likely to respond yes to questions you ask them if you show them your palms when you're talking. I am so going to start noticing whether when you ask us if we have enough money to buy a printer or this or that, whether or not you put your palms up or not. (laughs) Do you use these on me? (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) He He says says with with his his palms palms open. And I started off with that smile. I want to return to that smile. Never underestimate the power of a smile on your face to tell people that you are in a good mood, that you are approachable, that you are someone that they would like to engage with. Beware the awkward silence. But don't worry if it happens. In fact, your father, Lizzie Post, has a great thing that he does with awkward silences. There's a certain 
um, time in the hour that Peter Post will tell you there's always an awkward silence at the table. And when an awkward silence falls on the table, he'll be like, oh, is it 11 after? I forget what the minute number is, but it's a time within the hour when... It's so funny. It must be 11 after. But he's got a my thing to say to break that, that I think he moment. learned it from my mother. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> awkward silences happen. Yeah. Don't fear them, but also... Maybe have a tactic, have a strategy, have a little thing that you've got at your disposal that you can use to move the conversation along if that if that moment does occur. <laughs> no, not the time to give out opera ski tips. OK, I'll catch you all another time <laughs> and off you go. <laughs> exactly. We will talk more about how to exit a party when we conclude our series on mix and mingle, tactic skills, and intelligent party going next week. I love it. Thanks, cuz. As you know, we like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you are seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today's comes from Melissa. Hey, Dan and Lizzie, I have a huge etiquette salute to my fantastic, in all caps, maid of honor, who is an avid listener of your show and the person who introduced me to awesome etiquette. I got married in September and my best friend went absolutely above and beyond for me. She had a year full of life changes. She moved to another country, earned a second master's degree, landed an awesome new job, and she still, still found time to make me and my fiancé feel so special and loved, both before the wedding and during our wedding weekend. I am so grateful for her care and consideration and hope when it is her turn to be the bride, I can repay the favor with as much kindness and thoughtfulness as she showed me. Thanks for a great show, Melissa. That is lovely. Melissa, thank you for a great etiquette salute. Your friend sounds like one of those very special friends that I think we all wish we had in our life and could count on when a special day arrives. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Consider helping us out by becoming a sustaining member. You can do this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Or you could tell a friend about this show that you enjoy. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and our assistant producer is Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris. And thanks, Bridget. Thanks, Chris. And thank you, Bridget. Bridget.